0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, Edges and curves, without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom spray five and one. Only from Rustolium.
2: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
3: Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt.
2: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare.
5: Welcome back to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Two goalless draws have provided us with all the drama we need this week. I mean, seriously, I promise you, they have. And it was all about Alessia Russo. Manchester United, her current club, failed to score against Everton. Whilst Arsenal, the club that wanted her so badly, couldn't score either. We look back on an epic deadline day and some of the new trends in the transfer market after a chaotic January. Plus, Liverpool might have just hauled themselves out of the relegation scrap and the journey to the World Cup starts next week. But there is some controversial news. First of all, we welcome to the pod for the first time, the BBC's Emma Sanders. Welcome, Emma. Hello. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm excited. I mean, we have been looking forward to to this podcast for for a long time. It's good to have some actual experts involved uh, with us, not just me and Rach trying to
6: hold (laughs) up the fort. We know what we're talking about. <laughs>
5: um, but yeah, it's been a big weekend. Obviously not a lot of goals in the uh, the big the big games. Um, but again, I think it's the significance of those games that seems to be the kind of talking point here. Uh, a tale of two goalless draws. We've been gassing up their title charge in recent weeks, but Manchester United lost the top spot. I'm not crying. You are. Uh, <laughs> after a 0-0 draw with Everton and Chelsea's 3-2 win at Spurs. But did this and events elsewhere tee us up for a tastier title race? I mean Yes. Emma, you were there. Manchester Manchester United, I mean, they had yep. their chances. Um I think they were slightly unlucky. Rach thinks it's a lack of experience. I'm gonna ask you for your your comments on this. Yeah, you go first. You were there. What what was it like on, on pitch side? It just
3: felt Overall, it was really frustrating for Manchester United, but it also kind of felt a bit deja vu, like we've been here before, we've seen this before, where it's a team that are constantly attacking, they've got a of quality, they're creating chances, but they just can't hit the target. And I think the most damning stat for me was that they had 25 shots, but only four of them were on target. I know that they also hit the post. But they had have, they have such large spells of possession against Everton. They were in control, they dominated. But they just weren't clinical. They weren't ruthless, and I do think it's a mixture of both. Yes, they were unlucky because some of the chances that that they missed, I just thought, wow, like it's just hitting shins, it's hitting shoulders, like they just couldn't get any clean contact. But at the same time, I do agree with Rachel that I do think it is that experience because you know they they're just not they're not used to being at the top of the table. And I actually asked Mark Skinner about this um, at Lee after the game and. I said, you know, are the teams feeling the pressure? Because they're not used to being the team that are being chased. They're usually the ones that are chasing. So I think that's where it's interesting for me because yeah, it's always like, do they, can they switch the mindset of, you know, having to see out games early, having to like get that early goal and then sitting back or are they starting to feel the pressure as, as games go on? And you did feel that the longer that they went without scoring, they just weren't going to score. And I don't think that was down to luck. I do think that was down to that kind of lack of experience of being at at the top of the table. So, yeah, an interesting one. But also, I kind of wasn't surprised at the same time. I feel like I have seen that before.
5: No, I think, um, I mean, I've got to agree to to some extent, I suppose. I think for me, I mean, looking at Russo, I think obviously she had some clear chances there and chances I think she otherwise would have put away. But I think with obviously the drama that's been surrounding her in the last couple of weeks, uh, obviously we didn't know whether she was going to be leaving to, to go to to Arsenal uh, after the record-breaking um, sort of transfer fees that, that we were talking about but um not I think on any other day she would have converted those chances um, and I think that's got to play a massive impact on you know her mentality and, and maybe the mentality of the squad as well knowing that you know she hadn't she hadn't sort of put her flag in the sand and said oh you know I definitely I definitely want to stay this is definitely what I want to do she she was sort of reaching out and sort of looking a little bit like she might want to um to, to reach over so yeah I think that probably impacted them but are we giving too much credit to, to Manchester United with this one I think Everton put on a massively great defensive display
6: yeah. um, Rach what are your thoughts? I I didn't think so Everton had a couple of chances near the death Jess Parks could, could have scored Um she rounded Mary Earps I think it was her and Millie Turner who uh, that kind of narrowed that angle for Jess Park but really Jess should have put that away um, but you know she's young um, i'm sure next time she has an opportunity like that she will but everton were very much like hanging on for dear life i think it's fair to say they were putting in some brilliant brilliant tackles and blocks defending was really good i thought gabby george out in the left left fullback position was excellent um she had to deal with like onabaje and and that kind of danger down that side and i actually think man united tried to exploit the other side kind of because of that um they had a huge amount of space on on everton's right hand side um, so I do think that, it's not, I don't really think it's necessary that Everton played some excellent, excellent football. They were, you know, defending really, really well. I thought, you know, Cordy Brosman pulled off some saves. I do think, it. I couldn't believe Man United didn't score. I was at this game as well. And I didn't believe it was going to end 0-0 because I had also done the Reading game where I was like, God, this is going to, this is going to go to a draw. They're not going to score. The game's going longer and longer. They're not going to score. And then up pops Rachel Williams. And, we saw that again, he brought on Rachel Williams around a similar time. Um, I imagine hope hoping she'd do a similar job but it didn't happen. So, listen, it was excellent Everton defending but equally, I just think decision-making in front of goal wasn't brilliant. They were trying to do too much in the box. It felt like, a bit like the Reading game um, and I think that was where I'm talking about the experience. You know, sometimes it doesn't have to be pretty um, and I think they will learn that but, yeah, I think to have 25, 26 shots and only four that were on target Tells you everything you need to know. I think.
5: No, I think sometimes it just doesn't go your way. I think for, again, you know, it, in it two games in a row. It wasn't through want of trying. I mean, twenty-five shots on goal is not through want of trying. But sometimes the ball doesn't fall. It hits your shin. It, it, it you don't make the right contact with the ball. It's not through. I think. I think it's still. I think it's still luck. Yeah. Um, but
3: now, obviously, do, do I you mean, think the substitutions uh, were too late? Too late, then. Yeah. Do you the, think uh, like, yeah. Mark Skinner should have brought on the likes of Rachel Williams earlier? Because I do feel like as those chances were coming and going, and as you say, the luck like wasn't really coming off, you did see the players start to think, like, oh, this is just not our day, we're not going to score. So I almost felt like, why not bring on those subs earlier? Because then you, not only do you get fresh legs, but you sort of get that fresh mentality where you've got players who, they haven't missed 10 shots in a row. So they're coming on almost, you know, they haven't got that feeling of, it's just not happening for us today, if that makes sense.
6: Yeah, I'd agree there. I think we, we would have maybe expected to see more substitutions like, Leon's on the bench as well she's a goal scorer Marta Thomas you know they have other potential goal scorers on the bench and I think waiting so long and again I think you should have learned from the Reading game let's not leave it to the last 6 minutes (laughs) let's try and get this done and dusted in the last 30 Um, so yeah there was a I'm, I'm not sure about the substitutions but they face Chelsea now
5: on the March uh, the twelfth. Um, that's going to be a big game. Massive. That's all of a sudden, I mean, it was significant anyway. But now the significance of it is even more so now that Chelsea have sort of regained that that top spot again. Um, yeah. What, what do you reckon we can expect from that? Fireworks. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. I think like that's that's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because I guess when you're looking at Manchester United in the title race, and as I was saying before, you know they used to be in the team that's chasing. This is like their big opportunity where they can really put down a marker and say, "No, you know what? Like, we are toe to toe with 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 the big teams. Like, we can we can pull off like the wins that are needed." But you just can't. I find it really hard to look past Chelsea in those moments because that's why they've won titles over the last three years because they win the big games, they win the deciding games, or they at very least don't lose them. So that's where Manchester United have struggled: is that they haven't quite kind of got one over their, their big rivals so far so that for me would be such a big statement if they go and win that game and I personally think that there's kind of no coming back after that if, if you Chelsea which I know is a really bold statement to make given what they've kind of shown over the last couple of years but we love both United squads I know <laughs> we love them we love them but yeah I just think United squad is just it's just so so full of quality this season that this is the best chance that they've had to win the league because I actually don't think Chelsea have been that great this season, but they've still been grinding out those results and they've still been picking up the wins, which is why they are where they are. Um, And that's what Manchester United have to do. You know, even when they're not playing well or even when luck's not on their side, they have to find something. Um, So yeah, they they need to do that against Chelsea. That for me, they have to win that game if they want to win the title.
6: That's the difference. That's the difference between Man United and Chelsea. Even looking at that Arsenal team and Chelsea, Chelsea aren't don't have to play their best football to grind out results. Both Man United and Arsenal are dominating games in terms of possession and chances and not getting over the line. And there's something about Chelsea that even when, you know, you look at that Arsenal game they played when Arsenal pretty much dominated, should have gotten all three points. They still get that goal of Pop Sam Kerr. Um, I think you're right. I think Man United have the quality in that squad to cause Chelsea some damage. But I think had United gone into that match having won this one, having gotten the three points still being top of the table it's a different mindset right whereas now they're chasing again Mm -hmm. and I just think it makes for a whole different fixture now the fact that they lost those two points and they have to win this match and look I think if they'd won this one and they were still on top winning the match would obviously be key but it's almost a little bit less pressure because they have their noses in front so yeah I, I can't call it I'm terrible at calling these matches but um A popcorn one for sure. Get the popcorn out for that one because it's gonna be it's gonna be good. We're gonna have another little draw again, aren't we?
5: (laughs) That's the spirit. I mean, (laughs) to be fair, I mean, I mean, they've now got a chance to pick up some points, haven't they, against uh, Spurs? And and you you definitely expect they're picking up points against Leicester, unless they unless Leicester suddenly become a a spanner team themselves, which I I can't (coughs) see happening this season. Uh, So they've got two games. You need to
6: explain the spanner team.
5: Yeah, so Rachel, we, Rachel's calls them a disrupt disrupting teams. I call them spanner teams. There's teams that you never know how it's going to really go, but they're the ones that will kind of make you get to a draw. They'll just emergency defend, they'll block for their life, their keeper will have a worldie, and they'll just keep you at a draw and make you lose those additional two points. That's what we think. I mean, Everton, West Ham and Aston Villa, those are what I'm putting in that They're that my disruptors. Category.
6: They're the ones that are going to disrupt that top four. And I think that's going to, as the seasons go on, they're the ones that are going to start knocking on that door. And I think we're seeing that now with Everton. They're going to start just nicking points here and there. You know, you see it with, with Arsenal. These teams are not easy. Not they've ever been easy to beat, but you just don't know anymore. And even looking at Leicester, you talk about goalkeepers having a good game. Bloody hell. They're keeper at an unbelievable game against Manchester City. So you, you, just, you just don't know what's going to happen now. Well, I mean, this is a perfect
5: segue in because talking of one of the disrupted teams, I mean, West Ham... <laughs> grinding out that draw with Arsenal, um, that seems pretty costly for them as well. I think if anything's going to be Man United saving graces is that Arsenal also uh, couldn't get those three points this weekend. They're now five points off of Chelsea, but they do have that game in hand. Um, I mean, West Ham's first draw in 18 league games and, you know, what a team to do it against. Um, yeah, I mean, Emma, do you manage to catch that game at all?
3: Yeah, yeah. I came home from the Man United game and I watched that and oh my god, it was like a warm-up for the Happy Valley finale because it was so dramatic. <laughs> yes. But I felt like I was then, you know, ready for Happy Valley. So yeah, it was great, great experience. Um but yeah, as you say, I think in the overall title race, it's it makes things interesting because it keeps all of the teams sort of together and um sort of yeah, really close in that title race. So for the neutral it, I think it's great. Um but yeah, West Ham, they've always been that kind of team that Um, well certainly under like Paul Konczewski this season but when they have their moments of quality they look like a side who can definitely disrupt or spanner that you know love it Emma the top teams wedging that in
6: there
3: yeah I think I'm gonna call them a heartbreaking team because um, yeah I think Paul Konczewski was saying like her her mum was uh, his mum sorry was having like a heart attack like the whole way through so (laughs) um, yeah like they've definitely got those moments of quality and I think when when they take them they can cause problems against the top teams but yeah, yeah, I think it was another example of a side who, they were well organised, they they fought for the ball, they worked really hard. I actually think West Ham were defensively better than Everton, you know, again, not taken away from the Everton result. But I do think a lot of the Manchester United result came down to Manchester United not taking their chances. Where whereas I do think West Ham made it really difficult for Arsenal. They kept them sort of out of the positions that they like to play in. Yes, Arsenal did have plenty of chances to win the game and they still should have won the game, but um I think that was that was the difference really, was that West Ham looked really solid. So yeah, a massive result in the overall sort of standings. Um but I do still think Arsenal, they're missing that striker that they wanted in the January transfer window. They've obviously got loads of quality. Um but yeah, the they just lack, lack that sort of clinicalness and that, you know, that, that real goal scorer, I think.
6: I think as well when we talk about La- you know not getting that striker what that whole conversation has probably done for the Arsenal team because it's it's been made out to be really quite fatal that Arsenal haven't managed to get this striker what that kind of tells the squad as they're preparing for a game is shit like this is not good this is not good for our season what are we going to do so even if they're trying to block out the noise I mean Estina Blackstenia has already had pressure on her shoulders but Jesus that girl I, I, I don't know how she's going. she's handling this kind of pressure and I feel for her and I really feel like she's a brace or a hat-trick away from kind of getting the floodgates open and finding her touch I just think the more pressure that's put on her the harder it is you know I think she was brought in when Meadma and Meaden were in the team and I don't think the plan was ever for her to be the number nine the key striker right I think she she probably felt like she was going to have a bit more time to find her feet find her her speed in the WSL and suddenly it's all on her shoulders now um so i do feel for her when you've not got a mead behind or a, or a mead who were there to pick up any potential shots that you've missed or that have been saved or parried and and it's those areas that just they're lacking in that clinicalness in the in the box and decision making i think sometimes as well um so yeah i agree with you emma i think there was a difference in the way that the two teams set up in terms of defense sometimes i find you can have a game plan against a team like United and they come out of the blocks 100 miles an hour and suddenly you're just on the back foot defending for your lives. Whereas it felt like West Ham came out and knew we're going to have to defend solidly from, you know, the front. And it was more of a game plan rather than a reaction to, oh, holy shit, they're coming out us 100 miles an hour. So that that yeah. just felt a bit more organized then.
5: Yeah, I think uh, what well, didn't seem to be that fussed about the fact that their goal scorers, uh, well, they weren't scoring any goals. I mean, when he was sort of asked about this sort of failure to. To put the chances away, he said, um, you know, if it was a trend, I'd be really worried. But if I'm honest, we played West Ham, Leeds, Villa, Chelsea, Zurich, uh, and we scored 22 goals in those five games uh, with the forwards that they had. But I think obviously looking at the games that they've had this this side of the, the 2023 uh, Christmas break, um, you know, obviously one goal, one goal in two games, I, I think we'd probably be expecting a little bit more from, from Arsenal. So it's clear that, you know, the lack of strikers that they have is, has made a significant impact. Obviously, you mentioned there, Emma, that they, they put in those two world record bids for, for Russo last Wednesday. Uh, thought to be just shy of half a million pounds um, but yeah do you think that would have had a massive impact I mean uh, yeah I mean it's hard its hard
3: to say no I absolutely do think so because as Rach said if you're Blastinius and you're going into that game like you're well aware of the fact that your manager has been desperately trying to get in a goal scorer so you know you're aware of that pressure on your shoulders you're aware of the expectation but I also think there's a knock-on effect for you know players like Hertig as well who was brought in um, and she's, again, sort of probably a player that wasn't expecting to be starting games in the WSL, but because of the injuries to Mead and, Me- and Miedemar, again, is put in that situation where she's perhaps being sort of thrown into it a little bit. Like, I, when, when I was watching Adelweil talking about the goal scoring, it was almost like he was trying to hold back his own frustration and saying, look, we do still score goals, almost as if trying to tell people that it wasn't a problem. But you can see the frustration kind of coming out of him because he knows that they failed in the transfer window because they did. That was their goal was to get in a striker and they didn't get one. So therefore, it was a failure in the transfer window. So it's kind of on his shoulders as well. And I think he, he'll be feeling that pressure and the more scrutiny that there is on, you know, lack of goals or lack of clinicalness in front of goal, that comes out as well. So I do think it has an overall knock-on effect for sure. And I think you could see that in the performance. Just everyone looked quite tense. And just in that six-yard area... It was just all a little bit frantic. There was no like real composure. Yeah, I do think individuals will be thinking it has to come from somewhere. Maybe I need to be that person to step up and therefore, you know, they're putting pressure on themselves. So... Yeah, definitely. I think it
6: made an impact.
5: You know, and we were talking a little bit about the sort of the transfer window. I mean, this is obviously we've had sort of debates and discussions about it and you see news articles pop up uh, in previous years, but this feels like the first year that there's been so much engagement and so much attention with who's going where and what bids are being made and how much those bids are. Uh, obviously with, with Russo sort of taking the, the the main the main part of the headlines, but you've also got um, Barcelona signing Walsh for the record 400,000, uh, you know, Russo obviously rejecting the offers and Man United sort of keeping her um but yeah do you feel like we're sort of entering a new age of you know transfer windows and deadline dramas deadline day things sort of it'd be interesting to hear from you guys as well as to as to where you're getting all this like first-hand information from i mean i know you can't reveal your sources but um if you (laughs) give us a little heads up that'd be that'd be great
3: yeah i mean i don't know like i don't know about Rach and how she sort of feels like this this transfer window is gone but for me it felt like a a turning point in women's football i actually wrote about it afterwards because the amount of stuff that were coming out that, that was new, like clubs asking for, for fees for players like leaving a loan was just so common, like in this transfer window, from my understanding, the amount of kind of stories that came my way from sources that were saying, you know, you know, this club wants this player, but the fee that they're asking for on loan is ridiculous, like we're never going to pay that. And it was like, it wasn't just one player, it was quite, quite a few players in, in the January transfer window. So That for me was really new. And this idea of contract renewals being something that was being kind of spoken about in press conferences, like I, certainly this January, more than any other transfer window, pretty much every press conference I was asking managers, is this player signing a new, new contract? And it was because there is now, there's more interest from fans, like they want to know this sort of stuff because they know now that it's common for players to leave during contracts. It's not, it's not all about waiting until they're ending. So they want that surety that players want to stay at their clubs. So that for me was really interesting, um, but yeah, even even the sources where we get, obviously I, <laughs> I won't say where we get our information from, but I do uh, think uh, even that is changing, it's, it's expanding. As I guess when I first started doing kind of transfer news, it was more, um, it sort of came more from like within clubs or from like within personnel, whereas now it's kind of all areas of the game, because the game is is grown, therefore things are getting spoken about and you know, everyone talks a lot more than, than than they used to and there's more and more parties involved now. So, you know, you have agencies, you have players and you have families, then you have academy coaches and there's all sorts of people now involved at clubs. So, yeah, I, the, the spectrum of kind of the talking points, I think, is a lot bigger. And yeah, maybe that's all I should say.
6: <laughs> yeah, I I would not be uh, the, the same as Emma in terms of getting sources and stuff. But I do think this transfer window, I had heard things and had... Things said to me that I probably haven't had in previous transfer windows. So I think that in itself shows um, a growth. I, I do wonder, like, because you have the combination of the game in it's itself growing the fees increasing and you also then have the backdrop of a, of a world cup and you know i don't think we will ever maybe maybe we will but this january transfer window just felt like the busiest transfer window we've ever seen almost at least the one that's been the most spoken about and i think it was Carla ward who spoke about the fact that she had players coming to her knocking on her door and the january transfer window used to always be the hard one that the one where you're trying to lure players away from club while they have a club or you know whatever that might be now they were they had players wanting knocking on doors, and I think that really shifted the narrative. The fact that they're you've got players desperate for game time ahead of a major tournament, so that just made it all the more interesting. Um, but yeah, I just it was it, it just felt relentless almost. You know, when the, when it finally closed, we're all a bit like, oh Jesus, I don't want to think about another transfer for another few months now because this has been like constantly there rumors, you know, speculation deals and then stuff that isn't rumors that is actually true but isn't actually going to happen and you've got all of this kind of coming from all angles so it sure did make for an exciting few months
5: well I'd love to be added to the secret you know transfer deadline day <laughs> whatsapp chat that, that you guys must be privy to oh my to. god we
6: should have one of those <laughs> <laughs>
5: But I mean, obviously, we're talking sort of like really, really big figures at the moment with with some of the transfers coming through, and rightly so. I mean, these are incredible players that are being moved from club to club. But you know, we're we're seeing these massive figures amongst the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea, um, you know, Manchester United, what the, the ones with the the bigger budgets. Do we think we're we're going to see you know the lower the lower teams being left out? I mean, the likes of Reddin who don't have the kind of the big the big backing.
3: Yeah, it's an interesting question because I think certainly kind of from my understanding of the teams near the bottom, they are increasing their budgets, just not perhaps at the same rate as, as the top teams, so um, you know, teams like Liverpool, they have spent more in the last year and a half than they have done in like maybe the previous five, but they haven't accelerated that spending rate at the same kind of percentage as those in the top six so while the top six are spending maybe twice as much Liverpool are spending maybe, I don't know, 1.5 times as much, so um, that gap is then getting bigger. And then, as you you know, you know mentioned there, Leicester, they're, they're a great example of Brighton as well, where they have you know real backing from their parent clubs um, and obviously from the men's side in terms of facilities and investment. But I think that kind of finance is spread across the entire club, so it goes to things like the academies as well. And actual transfer budget is probably still quite low. I do worry for teams like Reading because they haven't got a Premier League men's club therefore they haven't got the same kind of financial backing that chelsea man city arsenal etc and even liverpool um will obviously get from the men's side so that is probably a long-term concern but i do think it comes down to this question of like the big money is going to transfer between the big clubs because that's where the the best talent is and i think the talent pool in women's football is obviously a lot smaller so naturally if you're wanting the best players then you're transferring money between those kind of best clubs The fact that, you know, there was obviously um, reports about Chelsea putting in an offer for Katie McCabe at Arsenal, and then you had, obviously, like Arsenal putting in a bid for Alessio Russo at Manchester United. You know, the chances of a world-class player being at a club like Liverpool or Leicester that Chelsea or Arsenal are going to bid big money for is obviously going to be lower. So I think that's where kind of the problem is, is that that big money is being transferred around the top teams. But hopefully, by this introduction of things like asking for money for for loan fees this is where I think it makes it interesting because a club like Liverpool can then ask for money from someone like Manchester United who might want like a squad player um, and they can get a bit of of money for a loan fee so I think that's where that big money that's being transferred between the top teams can then sort of trickle down a little bit.
6: Players want to be playing in your Champions League in whatever else you know so that is always going to be something that happens you're going to have those players wanting to go to those clubs but at the end of the day there's only so much, so much space for these players so it will take a while I think as well just because the game is still relatively new it will take a while for that to kind of trickle down but if you remember our chat with Becky Murphy about building an ecosystem you know we want championship clubs to be able to buy players and vice versa from the WSL so definitely something to, to be, keep an eye on
0: I suppose. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years.
2: Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times.
5: All right. Well, we've got a to touch on Liverpool. A, a huge, huge win, uh, picking up their first win of 2023, beating Reading 2-0. Uh, we haven't spoken too much about them. I know we just touched on briefly there. it would be exciting to see what they're sort of doing with their, their transfers and things and signings this, this summer. Um, but yeah, now they're eight points clear of Leicester in the relegation zone. Do you think they're safe? Is it too early to say? Um, are I think Leicester so. creeping towards a bit of a comeback? They've put on some good performances this half of the year.
6: I think I think Liverpool are okay. Um, and I think it'll be more your Readings and potentially Brightons that are the ones that need to be looking over their shoulder. But I think Liverpool are okay. And I think they'll pick up points um, elsewhere. I think some of their signings as well will be really, really impactful um, Emma you can probably talk more on this but Fuka Nagano I know Sophie was raving about her after the match I've just watched uh, someone put a highlights reel together of, of uh, her in the midfield and she's amazing her decision making her kind of what she sees in the game you can see her you know scanning as she's receiving a ball she's already picked out a pass before she's received the ball and that kind of mature decision making um, in the midfield for Liverpool can make such a difference and can just link up that play so much quicker and um, but yeah, I just I guess it's it's that that was that slow start for Liverpool. She said Reading were kind of on top of them in that first half. Um so I guess it'll be that's something they need to look at. But if this is how players like the impact Fuku is having already, uh, I can only imagine what kind of impact she's gonna have the rest of the season.
3: Yeah, I think like Liverpool, they were always going to be one of those teams that I felt going into the start of the season would be safe. Um, I do think they they dropped a few kind of needless points just before um, the end of last year against against Brighton against Reading, where, where they had sort of draws and like they conceded late goals. And I did think, oh, is that going to come back to kind of bite them in the second half? So I did feel like February was such an important month for them. And obviously they've got Leicester at home again next week. And I think that game is crucial. I think if they win that game, then I think Liverpool are safe. I don't think they're quite safe now. Um, but I do agree with Rachel, I think I would be far more concerned if I was a Reading fan or or a Brighton fan because, um, yeah, just mainly, mainly their run of form, particularly Brighton, it's been quite, um, yeah, quite concerning. Obviously, they picked up that that really crucial draw against Villa, but I would still be worried if I was Brighton. But yeah, Liverpool, they do look like they're, they're kind of on the up again now. They had that horrendous defeat to Manchester United in the first game back after the new year, and I think they learned from that because they were so, so poor. That was by far, I think, the worst performance they had on, under Matt Beard. So I do think they bounced bounced back from that. And yeah, Nagano looks like a really, really, really good player. And I think the one concern for me was that obviously they've got injuries in those attacking positions with Liann Kernan being out and Shanice van der Sanden. Um, they obviously brought in a Sasha Dowie on deadline day, which I thought was a really, really good signing, considering that she came from a relegation rival as well, because I think that's actually weakened Reading. Um, so yeah, she can obviously add some goals, which I think will be important. Um, and the fact that they got, you know, those two goals against Reading from midfield with Bo Kearns, um, you know, adding, contributing there. And I think Kerry Holland's been in fantastic form as well. And I think she'll be really, really crucial for them. So... Yeah, I think if Liverpool can avoid defeat against Leicester, then I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I think it was quite impressive. I think there was just a lot of heart and determination
5: from Liverpool this weekend. I mean, it wasn't, you know, the Missy Bo Kearns go, it wasn't the the loveliest, the prettiest of goals, but it was scrappy and she wanted it. Um, And I think, again, Meg Campbell, you've got got to give a a shout out to those arms. Oh my God, it's just incredible. The launch, I mean, I just, I don't know how she, it, it defies Science, <laughs> uh, the, the reach that you can get on that. Um, but Emma, I mean, you expressed some concerns there about Reading uh, and the relegation zone at the moment. Obviously, they're just above Leicester with seven points. Uh, Reading, um, sorry, Leicester on three. Uh, but Leicester have two games in hand. Um, yeah, I'm thinking. Leicester might, I mean, they, they, they hang on, don't they, for dear life, Leicester. I mean, they just, they're so determined not to not to go back down again into into the championship. But Reddin seem to be the ones that are the, the biggest concern for, for, for everyone this season. What, what do you think?
3: Yeah, well, I think like Willie Kirk coming in at Leicester, I think has been a really shrewd move because I do think he has added a little bit of solidity there. And I think they had such a good January transfer window. I was really, really impressed with their business. So I think that sort of made the other teams around them more nervous because everyone kind of had written Leicester off. Like they were they were bottom of the table and everyone thought, right, they're nailed on going down. But since obviously Willys come in, I do think they have got a bit of momentum. And as you say, they look like a side who are harder to beat than they were before Christmas. So even, you know, against Man City, like they held them off for quite a while. And they do look like a team who are who are improving every week under Willie. So... Yeah, I would be concerned if I was Reading. But I don't know, a part of me always thinks that Reading, they always seem to find a way under Kelly Chambers. They all, always overachieve on such a low budget. Um, and that's why I think actually Brighton are probably the team who are in the most danger for me. They still haven't won under the new manager. They haven't really put in a great performance. Even the draw with Villa, I thought Villa were poor and they should have won that game as opposed to Brighton playing well. Um so I do yeah I would be really concerned if I was a Brighton fan and I think now they might be the team to go down but I think Reading definitely will be will be worried and particularly after that defeat to Liverpool that was such a big game to them so yeah but you do feel like under Kelly Chambers they'll just pull out a shock result they'll be a disruptor and and will be <laughs> yeah. fine. yeah uh, you do
6: there is something about Reading <clears throat> they've got a real dogged determination they always know they're the underdog from budget to to kind of I don't know results of the pitch um and I I pipped Brighton to be the one I was worried about right back at the beginning of the season <clears throat> and I think you're right I was at that Villa Brighton game and I Villa played some of the best football I've seen them play in the first half they were absolutely sublime but they weren't creating enough chances in the box which was frustrating and this is what happened then it was almost like Brighton thought if they could hold them off, they, they conceded. Early, one goal, an own goal, and it was almost like if we can hold them off after they're playing like this we can get back into it and get something out of it, and it was very much, yeah Bill of dropping points Um, so I, I feel like Leicester have, a, have more of an actual form now under Willie Kirk, you can actually see what they're trying to do and they actually, they go out and they try and attack the game and try and put their own kind of style of play on a match rather than just t- taking what comes at them and trying to defend, and I think that's a big part of it as well there's a real belief there, so who knows? I, I feel I I'm similar to you. I think Reading might just hang on, and uh, Brighton need to be careful. I don't know. There's something about Leicester that
5: just makes me feel like they're not going back into the championship. They're gonna to have to do something incredible to, to to achieve that. But I think you you I mean you're completely right. I mean, when you look at some of the results they were having before Christmas, you know, conceding four goals to Arsenal, conceding eight goals to Chelsea, and then two goals, just just a tiny two goals to Man City. It just feels like they're heading in that right direction. So um yeah, I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna call it and say Leicester, Leicester for me. A safe. I'm going to be Bold. eating my <laughs> yeah, words. <same. laughs> right. I mean, looking forward uh, ahead to the summer. Last week marked six months since England won the Euros. Oh my God, what summer that was. Oh, um, I was reliving
6: it on every my phone. Time. I was going back through all the photos and the footage. It
5: was amazing. <laughs> Uh, next week, Rachel and I are heading to England's opening game at the Arnold Clark Cup against South Korea. Uh, we'll be doing a special at the match episode, um, and we'll follow up right, right here on the uh, the upfront feed. Uh, we're getting a squad announcement later on. I think it's four o'clock today, so by the time this goes out, we might have we might have about the same time. Um, but yeah, I mean, who who do you think you guys who, who would you guys pick as the the people that we should be looking out for? Who do you think is going to be making the squad that potentially wasn't in it in the
6: summer? I was going to say Lauren James is one to watch out for, but um, she wasn't there this summer, but I think she's going to be a big part of the World Cup squad. Mm. I think she's going to light it up. So for me, she's definitely one to look out for.
3: Yeah, I definitely think Lauren James. Yeah, yeah, Lauren James, definitely. I think she'll be in there. But I do think an interesting one is um, perhaps Emily Ramsey. She might come in as maybe a third-choice goalkeeper because I think she's been playing so well for Everton and getting lots of game time. Um, So I think she deserves kind of, you know, another call-up. She has been in and around the England setup before. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether Serena wants to have a look at her as like maybe another option. Um, And then it'd be interesting as well to see whether Jess Park sort of can kind of get a bit more of a a standing in the squad. Because she's been in and around. She's obviously had a couple of call-ups. She scored on her debut, didn't she? So um, she's been playing so well for Everton. Um, But it's just who do you take out of that kind of forward line? Because obviously Bethany England has been playing well as well since her move to, to Tottenham. So... Yeah, Jasper, Beth England, maybe Emily Ramsey, the three that I would be kinda of keeping. Do you know an who I'd on. like
6: to see? I would like to see Laura blinkhilda Brown get a go. Oh get yes. called up to a squad. Um I know Sophie's a big fan of hers. Um she's played some really, really good football for such a, a young player. She's been very, very integral to Villa this season and it would be really nice to see see her get a call up. Um in that midfield area for England, like just even just getting into the squad and, and experiencing that would be brilliant. Obviously, she has called, been called up for some of the underage, but um, I would I'd love to see that. So I've got my fingers crossed.
5: I think also, yeah, Beth England. I think I just want to see her get into the squad and just see what she can do for this tournament. Um, I know, obviously, the move to Spurs was to try and get more game time, to try and get more exposure and attention uh, for Serena. And I'm hoping that, actually, she just gets that that chance. I just feel like she, she does deserve it. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Four o'clock today, we'll, we'll see what the crack is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in less positive news. And I hate to end on a little bit of a negative one, but um, Australia and New Zealand have asked a FIFA to clarify reports that Saudi Arabia tourism authority is to be named as an official sponsor of the women's world cup seems like a really great idea uh there was even talk that they could be the headline sponsor um it's part of a new commercial partnership structure set up by fifa that will allow brands to, to just support the women's game um I mean, this doesn't sound like the most commercially sound choice of partner. Uh, I mean, I know in the past, you know, World Cups have been sponsored by McDonald's and, you know, alcohol brands and things like that. But this does seem a little bit left field, especially considering the backlash from uh, the Qatar World Cup that we've just had. Um, Yeah, I mean, Rach, what what are your thoughts on this? It just seems like a bit of a a no-brainer
6: and a bit tone deaf. That is exactly what I was going to say. It's entirely tone deaf and it's like FIFA looked at the backlash of the Men's World Cup in Qatar and decided to double down um, and it just seems how you can connect those two things and um, that that sponsor to the Women's World Cup I, ju- I can't really understand at all that link between it I mean the Australian captain is an out gay woman like you, literally the players cannot visit Saudi half of these players they wouldn't be legally allowed to be themselves in Saudi Arabia so you know with the men's world cup we all looked at it from a fan perspective and the safety of fans obviously because we don't have um I know there's obviously gay male players but nobody out whereas in the women's game this is a platform and a space that is a lot more inclusive and diverse and I, I just yeah can't wrap my head around it's so disappointing when stuff like this happens and the fact that they haven't kind of Talk to the New Zealand or Australian Federation. Kind of tells you everything. It's like trying to sweep it under the carpet. and No one's going to notice. And um, so, I really hope that if it is the case that our, you know, women's football uses its platform to kind of say, "Look, this is not acceptable." We have a time. We have time. This isn't, you know, a month before, a week before the World Cup. We have time to say no to this. And I don't think we're in a place where we just have to take any sponsor that comes. I think we can be more morally sound with our choices. Um, and I know it's it's not always perfect. I mean, from a climate change perspective, the whole, you know, Australian World Cup is all over the place. That could have been handled in a much better way, in my opinion. But um, yeah, I think we need to kind of just take a step back, to be honest, because I think women's football is still in a place where we can actually have control over these situations. There's a danger now that because of the growth of the women's game
3: and more and more brands and companies getting interested in in kind of getting involved in the women's game because they see it as an opportunity. Um, And that could be an opportunity for lots of things. It could be an opportunity for finances. It could be an opportunity to grow the game, or it could be an opportunity for sport washing. And I think that's where governing bodies and people in positions of power within the women's game, they do have to be careful and they do have to listen to the concerns. And yeah, I think Rachel's point about, you know, the game not being in a position yet where they have to say absolutely yes to everything i think is really important because the fact that the host nations weren't even consulted over this i think sets a really dangerous precedent that there can be other examples of sport washing that might creep into the game because if people involved in the game and you know host nations and players and people that have been around the game for a while aren't being consulted and not having those conversations then you have people from maybe external positions that are making decisions which might not be to the best um, to the best of the sport really. and um, they might be looking at it purely from a
6: financial or advertising or marketing point of view. Moya Dodd, Australian legend, um, wrote a really good article about about this whole thing and she made an important point about the progress that has been made in Saudi Arabia, particularly around women's rights. There has been progress over the last few years and it is, you know, it's important that that's recognised because obviously we all feel in terms of human rights that there's a lot of changes that need to happen there. Um, And she also talked about the fact that we shouldn't disengage Saudi Arabia from football. You know, there's been progress there in terms of women's football um, and, you know, there's a legitimate league there, a national team, um, and that is a lot of progress. But I don't think that means that that's not the way yet. I think that we should be recognizing we can recognize that progress. FIFA can support that and they should support that. But just handing over a massive sponsorship opportunity like that is just not the way to do it. Um, and when you think about the community around women's football, it just does not marry up in any way, shape, or form. It's oil and water. Actually, quite an apt um, uh, pun to use there. It is oil and water. They just, it just doesn't mix right now. And I think maybe in 10-15 years time with more progress you know it is something that that can engage together but right now that is not not the time if you're telling actual captains of teams that you're not even safe to go it's like fourth in the world i think for the most dangerous for lgbtq plus people to visit make it make sense
5: Right, so that was incredibly poetic. I really love that analogy. That was that was lovely. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it'll be interesting to see, obviously, that the host nations are raising issues with, with FIFA. So I think we'll have to wait and see what the sort of outcome of, of that is and, and whether, um, yeah, FIFA decide to, to do a U-turn on it. And um, from what we've seen in the Men's World Cup, I don't think they're particularly... Uh, you know, good fans of, of U turns, really. Um, but yeah, guys. I mean, I want to end on something a little bit more positive. I mean, Emma, what are you up to this weekend? I know it's been incredibly busy for for you. What, where are you up to?
3: Yeah, well, I'm I'm on Premier League stuff on the Saturday and then Sunday. I'm looking at heading to the the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for um, so Spurs big game against Manchester United in the WSL so are Man United going to drop whoa, whoa, more whoa, whoa, points whoa. is Bethany England going to score again <laughs> all of the narratives Chloe
6: all of the narratives but yeah no it, it should be should be a good weekend Looking Love to that it. and Rach what about yourself where are you off to I've got Manchester City Arsenal on Saturday which is an exciting game a big game um, Arsenal really need to get points there um, I, I just we cannot express that enough. If they have any chance of uh, of getting that title, because we cannot forget about Manchester City in this Champions League race. The points dropped from Man United and from Arsenal. Man City are right there, right there, waiting in the wings. So um, that that race is still very much on for both title and Champions League. And then I will be joining Emma at. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for Spurs against Man United So, nice. and I think Sophie's doing Brighton so covering a few few games this weekend oh that's a tasty fixture I mean if I wasn't at my own
5: game with, with Palace that's exactly where I'd be and I, it takes a lot for me to get back to, to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium but uh, I would do it on that occasion to see that game uh, but yeah I'll be okay. at home at Bromley uh, we face Durham in the Championship another chance to, to hopefully pick up some points for us because it's Ooh. been uh, a slightly disappointing 2023 um, but thank Thank you so much, guys, uh, for joining us today on Upfront. We'll be back next week. uh, But if you have any questions for the show, please do tweet us. uh, At Football Ramble, I am at Morgie underscore 89. Rach is at Girls on the Ball. And Emma is at M underscore Sandy. We will see you next week.
4: Upfront is a Stack Production and part of the ACAST Creator Network.
1: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns